Welcome, everyone, to the 64th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Cozella here with Nick Tartaglia. How are you, Nick? I'm good. A little gloomy of a day, rain. But, you know, there's at least we're being stimulated once again. You know, since the beginning, we've always said every week seems to be something new with the since the beginning of COVID, well, the COVID crisis. And uh, I mean, this week and last week has not failed us. I think it's also important to point out that um, globally, uh, spring is on the way, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, summer feels like it's a, it's a long way to go, but at least it's about, you know, warm outside. And a lot of stuff has kind of happened in the last couple of months uh, in a very digital world uh, mm-hmm. from the metaverse. Uh, Web 3.0 has become a very uh, important discussion amongst a lot of individuals. There's been huge, huge revenue sharing, revenue growth opportunities out there. Um, and unfortunately with what's happening overseas, it's kind of been, you know, not at the front and center of, of development right now. Um, it's hard to ignore what's happening. Our, our prayers, our thoughts and prayers with all the people that's, you know, what's been going on, but, um, you know, web 3.0, Nick, I think is something that is at the fringe right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 2021, we saw with the rise of NFTs, we saw with the rise of the metaverse. Um, and I think it's also an important question to start asking is, when you have a home shortage for millennials and Gen Zs as an alternative investment, or at least mm-hmm. a you know a safe haven investment, where else are they going to turn to? There's so much Not- saturation in most finan- most asset classes that you know, like especially the young people, they're going to look for opportunities elsewhere. Definitely, and I think that's kind of presented with a massive opportunity uh, in the digital world. Um, the metaverse has realistically been around for a while, uh, but we have somebody here today who has been at the forefront of pretty much everything, all the developments uh, happening globally. Uh, And this is going to be a huge industry as we're going to talk about. Um, So without further ado, uh, this gentleman has been around uh, the investment banking and real estate world for a very long time, close to about 20 years. Um, He's got significant leadership experience in the capital markets, uh, is a heart and sole entrepreneur when it comes to anything related to those sectors. Uh, and his first venture was really uh, tied to the cryptocurrency world. He was one of the co-founders of HUD8 Mining, one of the largest publicly listed Bitcoin miners in the world, uh, and recently embarked on this new journey and co-founded uh, a company called Tokens.com, uh, which was at front and center of every single metaverse real estate deal, particularly with DeFi and NFT technologies, as well as digital assets. Welcome to the New Gen Mindset podcast, Andrew Kegel. Thanks, Dan and Nick. By the way, I got to tell your audience members that um, these guys work very hard. I tried to get them to do this podcast during the week and they're like, no, 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 we got to do it on Sunday, the nicest day of the year. <laughs> <laughs> I just want everyone to know these guys don't want to disrupt the, the, the working during the week weekend podcast. Anyways, thanks for having me. Appreciate you coming on. And yeah. uh, listen, I know Sunday is probably the sacred day, but it's it's a good day to kind of recharge and talk about you know what's happening in the world. By the way, congratulations on uh, welcoming a baby boy into the world. It was very very awesome to see. Thank you very much. So tell us what got you to this point. Um, again. We saw Decentraland kind of be at the front and center of a huge uh, stepping stone or milestone uh, in the metaverse and, and, and the real estate world, if you think about it. But what, how, how did you get to this point and what, what brought you to, to, to want to be at the forefront of this? Right. Back in like 2015 or 2016, there was a guy by the name of Fred Pye. I don't know if you guys know Fred Pye. Yeah, He's of course. Founder of 3IQ, which is like 
mm-hmm. Canada's largest crypto funds. And, and he came to me when I was a banker and he was like, I got this idea, this a Bitcoin fund. And I was like, eh, Fred, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> I think this is a really bad idea. He's like, no, no, but you got to read the white paper. And I was like, Fred, no, nah, I'm not going to get behind this. This is a Ponzi scheme. But just like most people who first hear about Bitcoin, the first thing that connotates to your mind is this is some kind of a scam. It's funny money. But I started reading on it and kept talking to Fred and I got really fascinated with the whole cryptocurrency marketplace. And I was working at GMP Securities at the time and I went to uh, Harris Fricker, who was a CEO and you guys might know him as well, brilliant guy. And we said, why don't we start an investment banking group for for blockchain? This was back in early 2017 because we thought it was gonna be this huge disruptive force. Little did we know blockchain would largely impact you know, clothing and gaming uh, in the next five years. But we thought this was revolutionary and it was. We created this banking team and we raised a lot of money for various groups, including Mike Novogratz at Galaxy mm-hmm. Digital. We did his IPO, we're on public, Hive. But the one thing that was missing in the marketplace was a way for public market investors to get exposure to Bitcoin in a liquid way. And so there were some sort of buy and hold funds that were e-liquid. I think Barry Silver in the US had the grayscale, but it had like a six month hold on it. So we had the idea of creating a Bitcoin mining company that held all of its Bitcoin, and then we would take that public. And by virtue of that being public and holding its Bitcoin, you kind of have like the equivalent of something, a pass through to having ownership of it. So we've got together with some of the guys, we created a company called HUD8. Uh, the demand was pretty huge. We ended up taking the company public a few months later, like literally it was an idea one day, a company a week later, and then had like a $500 million valuation like two months later, it was in bananas. So I left banking, which I had been doing for 20 years, uh, and I left to become the CEO of this company and build it. And that was like a dream come true for almost anybody. Like, can you imagine, you know, I was part of the formation of this idea. I helped raise the capital. We had $107 million in the bank, nothing else. It was a chance to sort of go in there as an entrepreneur. I didn't have to worry about fundraising. I had this great board and it was a chance for me to sort of unleash my entrepreneurial inner self. And I built this company and it was everything from creating a logo, headquarters, hiring your first employees, like hiring a CFO. It was really starting from zero to build this company. But, uh, but fast forward how I got, you know, everybody wants to talk about the metaverse. After a couple of years, a lot more companies went public uh, in the Bitcoin mining space, whereas HUD8 was one of the first or possibly the first. By 2020, there was a ton of them out there. There were Bitcoin ETFs and funds and everything else. Anybody who wanted to get exposure to Bitcoin, it was pretty easy. What was hard to get exposure to as a public market investor was the stuff happening in Web3. This is things like staking, NFTs, DeFi, and the metaverse. So my thought was, with the success of HUD8, why not piggyback off of that and create a new entity who was not dealing with Bitcoin? I love Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is very one-dimensional. And Bitcoin mining is turning into a utility. This was a way to start doing some really fun things, buying NFTs, buying different tokens, buying metaverse real estate. And metaverse real estate, I I really got turned on to by some of the the people that had uh, got me into Bitcoin in the first place. And we said, buying metaverse land has a lot of the same attributes as Bitcoin. Okay, It's limited in availability with growing demand. 
That was the first idea. Let's just buy a bunch of metaverse land. And I got together with some guys that I knew before that had been buying it for a while. And we rolled the land into tokens.com, which is the, the public vehicle that, that, that holds all of our Web3 assets. I thought at the time, and I was wrong, I thought that at the time, all we would do is just buy a bunch of metaverse land and hold it and watch it appreciate because it was going up like five, 600% a year. I was wrong, but I was wrong in a positive way. We kept buying the land and I was funding the business through tokens and we bought this piece of land in Decentraland's uh, fashion district. And there's a, there's a story behind why we did that, but we did that purchase for two and a half million dollars, not realizing we had just done at the time in November, the largest metaverse land acquisition in history. Next thing I know, CNN is calling, CNBC, the New York Times wants to write an article. Everybody starts like, you're the, you're the metaverse real estate expert. And, you know, and it started snowballing from there. When we started getting all this media attention, the emails started coming into, from people saying, hey, can we rent land from you? Can we hold the show on your, on your land? Can we set up a virtual store? What can you help us do? And so that original business, which started off this idea of just holding the land, snowballed into what today is really a, a fully integrated real estate business where companies can come to us and do, as Dan, you know, I've talked to you about this, digital advertising, which is sort of frictionless. We'll put up a billboard for your podcast or whoever you are in one of our buildings on one of our properties, all the way down to we will create a virtual storefront for you. We can staff it. We can do NFT drops for you. We can put it in various districts and hold events. Really has just continued to grow. And, uh, and it's pretty exciting. Like the things we're doing, we're talking to a whole bunch of celebrities. We're thinking about creating an entertainment division. I can't give you the names yet, but these are like some classic bands from like the 70s and 80s all the way to like some, some modern, you know, what I would call top movie stars and comedians today who are talking to us about things like, can I open up a stadium in the metaverse on your land and hold concerts there? And we're like, yeah. Can we um, open up a comedy store and have like a weekly comedy show in the metaverse? Yes. These are all the types of things that in conversations we're having because everyone's really intrigued with what the possibilities are here. It's so interesting because it's almost like, you know, you, you, like you had just said, you started this entrepreneurial journey uh, and then all of a sudden it just it's, it, it's snowballed into something that's so big of an opportunity now um, that I know that in this month, you guys are pretty much launching what is going to be the first ever uh, digital metaverse fashion show globally. Um, that is huge. Um, that is a pioneering step. It's almost like, you know, no one's ever done this before. So, you know, what, what can we expect, I guess, from that, from a industry perspective, and what does that mean for new guys or, you know, guys like yourself or new entrants or, or existing people in the space? What does that mean in terms of where this industry is going right now? So fashion is what I would deem like the low hanging fruit in the metaverse. And, and I can give you the reasons why. But yeah, we're, we're hosting on our land uh, a fashion week, March 24th to 27th. And this is going to have names like Dolce Gabbana, Tommy Hilfiger, and like another 25 names. Uh, you know, you can find all that stuff online. What you're going to expect is there's going to be virtual storefronts where they can advertise NFT wearables for your avatar. You can also click through and go to the company's website where they can promote some of their physical goods. There's going to be catwalks with fashion shows. 
and you'll be able to sort of click on the, the model of the, the avatar and you'll be able to purchase what they're wearing for your NFT or link back to the website for that company, again, to be able to look at the physical goods as well. So this is gonna be huge. I think this could end up attracting up to half a million unique visitors over the course of the week because it's gonna be free to access. There's gonna be after parties. We're talking to uh, musicians that'll be announced soon who will be performing. But the idea is to make this feel like an online version of attending you know, New York or Miami Fashion Week. And I think the curiosity behind it is gonna attract people. Mm-hmm. You, know, you guys can, I don't know if you've ever been on Decentraland, you can sign into Decentraland and have your avatar as a guest in under a minute and a half and be wandering around. You'll probably, you, you might be curious to see what does this look like? What does a Dolce Gabbana after party look like? What does a Tommy Hilfiger you know, catwalk look like? There'll be a full schedule and you'll be able to go check it out. From our perspective, this is amazing because we're able to charge money for advertising at the event. Again, these could be digital billboards. These could be guests stationed in and around, you know, pop-ups around the show. There's all kinds of possibilities here that we're working on in order to create revenue for our company. But what I think is very interesting here, why we chose fashion, it's not because I'm particularly, you know, a fashionista. Um, You know, I'm I'm not that person. But what we knew was that most brands were looking and creating strategies to enter the metaverse. And if you just Google metaverse and fashion, you'll see Balenciaga, Gucci, Nike, Adidas, Jimmy Choo, like the list goes on and on. We knew that they'd be looking for a central place to display their goods. Here's why that's important. I, I give the example. I have, a, I have a, an eight-year-old and a nine-year-old at home, a boy and a girl. And they're starting to get to that age where they're questioning like what they wear, the brands, you know, you, you go through like a little pivot where you're like, you don't care what you're wearing to all of a sudden it's like, I want to wear the gap or I want to wear whatever. How do kids these days understand what a brand means? If you guys remember being in high school, you would choose your clothes out really carefully, right? Dan, I know you did for sure. I went, to, uh, I went to an all private school, so I didn't really get much of a choice. Okay, you didn't get much, <laughs> but when you went out on the weekends though, yeah, you like, yeah I, the shoes you're wearing, you want to wear, you know, but how do brands today communicate that? Remember, kids today don't watch TV. I, I'm, I'm the oldest guy in my house. I have, a, I have a, you know, young family. They all think it's weird when I turn on the TV and I'm, flicking to see what's on they think that's ridiculous and i'm watching commercials they're like dad why don't you just go to netflix or whatever just pick what you want instead of whatever they're offering but the kids today they don't watch commercials right Hmm. they're not reading magazines right vogue magazine the sears catalog doesn't come get dropped off at the door anymore Hmm. how are they consuming information about what a brand represents how do they know this is a bit exaggerated right social media that's how they understand what Gap represents versus Gucci versus Balenciaga versus Chanel or Banana Republic, whatever. They need information as to what items represent. I was having a conversation with the executive team of one of the largest running shoe companies in North America a couple of weeks ago. And one of the execs said, how much money are we going to make if we open up a storefront on your, on your property? And I was like, who cares? Yeah. I'm like, it's not about the revenue. It's about the advertising. You're going to be able to go out and be like, hey, our brand is in the metaverse. Kids are people will be wandering around there. They'll check it out. They'll see your drops. They'll think it's cool. And maybe the next time they're out or they're shopping online, they'll look up your brand and order your product. It's about longevity because 
you can see Nike and Adidas are already there and doing this stuff. If you're not there and you're not establishing your brand in 10 years, you'll be forgotten. Yep. And that's what I'm communicating to these, these brands. Don't worry about the sales. Worry about people knowing who the hell you are in 10 years. Totally. I mean, it, it, it's funny because like that is the shift with that younger, because this is beyond Gen Z's now. This is like, I don't even know what we're going to call this young group of, of, of new right. consumers because that's, that's ultimately what they are. But it's just so funny. Like that is a shift because it's like, you know, I watch TV, I watch hockey and like, you know, sports is, and you, that's where you get all your information, right. but it's a combination. Millennials were like on these things and we're on there. Whereas like them, it's just exclusively on those, on those iPads. But yeah, like longevity with branding, right? Everyone's so centered about, you know, and I think this goes with coming to be a challenge of like just being a public company or a massive corporation. It's like, Hey, we got quarterly numbers that we need to hit. We got to hit sales, this, 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 but you, you touched it. It's just like, this is a longevity play. And I think the thing that reinforced that too, uh, was when JP Morgan came out and said, Hey, this is a trillion dollar opportunity. When you saw that, when you saw JP, uh, Jamie diamond, I should say, come out and basically say, Hey, we're going to be in the metaverse. They have their own advertising yeah. there. I think it's called Onyx, if I'm not mistaken. Like what was yeah. going through your mind when that happened? And was that like a validation as to what you were doing back in November? Yeah, I, look, I wasn't surprised. I had always known this was going to be a multi-trillion dollar industry because if you just size it down, whatever, what got everybody really hyped up here was when Facebook decided to do the largest rebrand in history and convert themselves to Meta, a metaverse company. What that tells me is and the next iteration of social media is going to be the metaverse. Mm. How big of a market today is, is social media? It's got to be at least a trillion. Then you have gaming. Gaming is migrating that way too. Gaming has got to be close to a trillion dollar business. you got all the, you know, you're going to need new graphic cards and, and computers to help you with this, just like at the advent of the internet. So when you start adding all these things up, the possibilities for, you know, when you think about, think about at some point, Amazon is going to be, create their own metaverse where you're going to go in and you're going to be like, okay, I want to find a headset, whatever, microphone, whatever. You'll type it in. And instead of seeing a bunch of things lined up two dimensionally in front of each other, you'll be all of a sudden inside of like a Best Buy type equivalent store where you can walk up, you get the description, you can look at it, you'll be, your avatar will pick it up and spin it around a different shopping experience. In a couple of years, people are not gonna be saying, I'm going to the metaverse to shop or I'm going to the metaverse to book my next vacation. Just like today, we don't say, I'm going to HTTP URL, whatever on the internet in order to book my next flight. What you'll do is you'll just go to the Expedia site. It will loop you into a metaverse where you'll be looking at various resorts or places you wanna stay and you'll be able to go in through with your avatar and just walk around and look around the resort, look around the room virtually, and then decide if that's a place you want to book. You'll be like, I'm going to go do my online learning now. It'll take you to a metaverse. And if you're in medical school or whatever it is, there'll be a medical professor there who will be showing you how to do surgeries, the anatomy of the human body in very great detail. You'll be able to access that no matter where you are in the world. And it's just going to be called online learning. Just like, again, this is the evolution. The internet seems to subtly invade everything we do and improve the way we do it. But again, when nobody says I'm going onto the internet anymore, the internet, which I find really fascinating, the internet isn't owned by anybody, yet seven of the largest 
10 companies in the world are all somehow linked to the internet, which I think is really fascinating, right? And I think the metaverse and more specifically Web3 ownership technology based in blockchain and crypto is going to subtly invade everything that we do. And in five years, nobody's going to be calling it crypto or anything anymore. You'll just be like, I'm going online to do this. It's Sorry, kind of like, okay, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Nick. Well, I was just going to say it's so basically the way you can look at it is just this new expansion is more of an interactive approach, uh, an interactive uh, evolution to the Internet where people can engage at an entirely different level than a more stagnant one. Di- like you said, two dimensional ecosystem. We can now you know, partake in a virtual world where we can engage with things, interact, visualize, move around, um, kind of shift between different parallels in a way, kind of, you know, parallel movements. It's honestly, it, it's definitely fascinating because it, it, it's cool to see things evolve and the way things want to evolve. And this is much more of a market-driven type of, uh, of movement, whereas things are heavily driven by governments right now. So it's very fascinating to see how the market is driving a, a, a new sector that is very kind of disconnected from the centralized ecosystems. So that from that perspective, it's really cool. And like I wanted to ask you was um, like dream a little in the sense of like, like where do you see potential going? Like, where do you see this dream going for you specifically at tokens? Well, so the way I view tokens.com is we are a, a public company that invests into these web three assets. It's a way of providing people exposure to it. Mm. Similar to how you might invest in a real estate company. You know, if I wanted to get real estate exposure to, I don't know, downtown Toronto, I'd buy allied REIT because they develop buildings, condos, commercial, they rent it out, collect revenue and pay it back. They have the ability to do things I can't do. Similarly, when I think about Web3 assets, things like, you know, we've bought a crypto punk, we are staking, we're doing play to earn gaming, where we're making, you know, in that side of the business, I'm told we're doing about 60% returns a month. What I'm trying to do is piece things together where I can leverage the infrastructure. We have a similar CFO, we can leverage the communications, all the people that have, you know, way smarter than I am in these areas. And I can leverage them across different verticals that all use the same technology, which is really blockchain and crypto. So right now, when I view where tokens.com is going, we have three main verticals. So staking, play to earn gaming, and the metaverse. I view those sectors as growing. We're making macro bets. And as we grow, tokens.com, I would like it to look a little bit like a Brookfield, but focused on Web3 or even an Onyx, which is the big merchant bank. But again, focus on Web3 assets that in my mind, these are going to be the most pivotal pieces of technology that are, that are you know, happening today. Like I feel really, despite the headwinds and everything happening today in the market, you know, be, you talk about being a public, being a public company is, is, is always a bit of a pain, right? My company since November has come down in, in, in price as is all the technology companies, mm-hmm. the fears of inflation, the war, everything else. I've lost value in my stock. Yet since November, what's actually happening in my company has only been like a tremendous amount of growth and value that's being created. And so I find capital markets are always a little bit behind the reality of what's happening in stocks. Uh, It's a little bit of a herd mentality. So we'll just keep building our businesses. I think, you know, is decentralized finance, is the delivery of financial services going to become more automated? Yes, nobody's going to argue against that. Is the NFT space going to continue to grow? Are you going to continue to see that technology grow? Will it be bumpy? Yes. 
but it's going to grow. Nobody's going to question that. Is the metaverse going to grow? Yes. So when I look at what we're doing in tokens.com, I feel like we're, we're really, you know, hitching our bandwagon to the, the hottest growing areas that from a macro basis, I, I don't think you'd find many people who would dispute you and say these areas are just going to, you know, poof and go away. Is there, so this is more from the gaming sector perspective. Is there a possibility where you'll find a point in time where like different gaming ecosystems, let's say, for example, um, Grand Theft Auto Sims, where you'll be able to have an individual avatar that can converge in a central place, but can kind of move between different parallel worlds of games where I have my, my, you know, so I have my avatar in the metaverse and I say, okay, I want to go play Sims right now. I go into that parallel world and then I can come back into the central, like a central ecosystem of the metaverse and then go back into a new parallel world. Like, let's say I want to go play Grand Theft Auto now, but it's my same avatar that I can move them around in different parallels through a convergent point in the metaverse. Yes. So that's happening now within the metaverse. So for example, if you create your avatar in Decentraland, Decentraland has its own currency, its own self-contained economy. You can go there with your avatar and go to the casino. There's games. And as more and more things happen there, you'll be able to take your, your creation, the person that represents you and move them around various places in that metaverse for different experiences. But I do think, you know, what I think will be cool. And I know Dan, you're a hockey fan. But what'll happen when you can move from just playing video games against other people like a hockey game and you can convert it into the metaverse where you can play the game and earn real money and act almost like a GM where you can start trading players with other people. So it's a self-contained metaverse, whereas more people play it, the value for those players go up. So you're not only the gamer, you're also the coach and you're also the GM and you can use it to make money. You could have like live auctions on the metaverse type thing too. We're totally. competing for players and buying. It's cool. Oh. I, I, I want to build on that point because this is kind of the sort of, when you look at the macro dynamic of the world that we're in, there's inflation everywhere. And like I said earlier, like it's, it's very difficult for millennials and Gen Z's now to like say, I'm going to park my money in an, in an asset, which is, you know, a piece of real estate. Um, and then now there's this opportunity. So what you're basically saying is that in the metaverse, there's a massive opportunity, and especially with staking, to create passive income, right? And that passive income can be really deposited into your crypto wallet or you know any type of wallet that's linked to Web 3.0. Is, 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 that, is that what you mean by that? I'm just trying to understand the whole concept there. So what I mean is different. I actually don't call it necessarily passive income. You know, we started staking ETH at $900, and even with the pullback now, it's trading at 2800 or something it's been as high as close to 5,000. So you're earning this income, but because it's not denominated in, in funny fiat money, um, it's got the potential to appreciate over time. And, you know, when I think about Ethereum, Ethereum is like a, the, the world super programming language that's building most things in Web3. I often say it's like owning a piece of iOS or Android, right? All the apps are being built on this. You're just supporting the transactions and getting paid for it. So I think it's more than just passive income. Sure, you might earn seven or eight percent a year by by staking ETH, but you know last year ETH was up by like six hundred and fifty percent. I think that's more than a passive return, right? So, yeah. um, what I was talking about with the gaming is with Web three technology converging with metaverse tech because metaverses have been around for a while, Second Life and the Sims and all this stuff. But when you converge the two together, you can create self contained economies mm. where you can take the gaming community and start utilizing it in different ways. So rather than playing for, you know, for the fun and for the pride of it, you can create actual leagues 
where money is made and tokens are made. Have you guys heard of Axie Infinity? No. No? Okay. Okay, let me tell you about Axie Infinity. Yeah, this yeah, yeah, go ahead. Your mind a bit. This is for the yeah. listeners too, right? You know? <laughs> okay. okay, if you look up Axie, it's A-X-I-E, Infinity. Okay. Came out about a, a year and a half ago. And it, it's a, a crypto-based game that looks a little bit like Pokemon. Mm-hmm. And you can use it, you go in and it has tokens on it and you can buy like a sword or a shield or different things and go into battle. And when you battle, you're rewarded with more tokens. You can breed your Axie Infinity. And as he grows in strength, it becomes more valuable. Think like, remember Dungeons and Dragons type stuff, but it's yes. like for real, but for real money. Right. Okay? Mm. So that game was created by a company out of the Philippines called Sky Maven. Okay. Sky Maven. Um, I'll ask you a question. So this this game, the company is Sky Maven. Take a guess what their run rate revenue was last year. For this is a startup, probably it's north of five hundred million, close to a billion dollars of run rate revenue for a startup. Okay, that's insane. They did a raise. I believe they did their last raise at a three wow. billion pre money that was backed by Mark uh, by Mark Cuban and Reason Horowitz. Because people go bananas. Now, they don't control the game. The game is controlled by the users. They just take a royalty when people are battling. Mm. Okay, It's creating all of this revenue. The token, the Axie Infinity token, went up hugely in value. I think last time I saw it, it got as high as $160. You can stake it. You can use it to build your avatar. And your avatar has real value. You can keep arming your, your avatar by buying various things for it. But where Web3 technology is cool is I can take that avatar and it's got resale value or the parts of the avatar have resale value. It can breed the avatar. There's all kinds of things that you can do with this that are player and gamer controlled. Um, there was a, a point here I was going to make with respect to that with the, the gaming. So a billion dollars in revenue. Oh yeah, this is what I was going to tell you. This is a very cool part. They're talking about this now in terms of bringing third world countries out of poverty. And let me explain why. You get these things that are now being created and we're part of these, we're using some in Africa, but in the Philippines, these are big too, where you have people that can make more money playing the game than they would going to um, a traditional job. However, they have a problem because as the value of the token goes up, the cost of entering and building your avatar becomes more expensive, okay? It's like wages and inflation, the same conundrum, basically. Correct. But now you have these game guilds. This is what we're working on in our, in our Hulk Labs, which is one of the, the play to earn vertical we have, where basically we're going to be connecting investors to players. The capital comes in. It's used to create the avatars, all the various things. The assets always belong to us. The players go and play this all day for you. So instead of going to work, they'll play this for 10 hours a day instead. They'll make a few hundred bucks because we'll do like a revenue split with them. The assets belong to us. And then the next day, great, come back. You can use our player again. And this is a way for you to make money. This is literally bringing people out of poverty in the Philippines where we've started launching this into Africa, where we're creating a whole economy with people playing games on our behalf that have economic incentive to do well. This is honestly, like, I, I didn't know that. So this yeah, is it's very cool, my, actually. Yeah. This is blowing my mind because, yeah, there, there is, you know, the, the, especially with all this, you know, geopolitical stuff happening and this hyperinflation stuff. Like these, these people, it's almost like they're trapped in that yeah. scenario, right? So you, you've almost given them a massive opportunity. It's a lifeline to like How- another ecosystem where you can earn currency yeah. outside of your own destroyed oh, yeah. currency. 
but the returns for investors are still in that 40 to 50% range. So the more investors we can bring in and gather, the more we're helping this economy and the other side through this you know, economic economy that we've created by using metaverse web three technology, combining it together with gaming. There's been, you guys should look it up. There's been about five or $6 billion raised just for play to earn gaming in the last like three or four months by VCs in Silicon Valley. Like this is going to be a massive, massive area this year. Everyone's going to be talking and then two years, it'll, you're, it's like, again, like metaverse, you'll be like, oh, this is just another part of web three play to earn gaming is going to be a massive, massive sector. It, it, it's almost like it's replacing sort of the, you know, the, the, the nine to five for most people. Right. And I think, well, it's but, like, it's, but it's also going to have for recreational, you know, there's 400 yeah. million daily players of video games right now. So yeah. it doesn't have to be for money. You'll still be able to go in and play for fun and all the things you do. But if you can migrate FIFA soccer or that video hockey game or whatever into a place where you have the choice to play in game for a reward, it could be very interesting. Yeah. Where does, and here's another thing that we could build off of. Where does betting play into this? Because I've seen there's startups that I've seen. I've got some buddies that run a startup where they've done esports betting. Um, where where does that mark? Like, what is that going to look like? Because they just legalized like you know sports gambling and all kinds of like legal betting uh, in various states and parts of Canada as well. But do you think those do you think those two worlds are going to also merge together at some point? And if so, like, what's that going to look like? Yeah, I think they could, except that the sports betting already has its own economy. Like, I'm not sure you necessarily need to introduce it, but might make it easier to facilitate if you have a token. What I remember about sports betting and the rules are there's just that difference between a game of skill and a game of chance. And I think it's the game of chance that's considered a different type of betting than or gambling versus the other. But I'll be honest, it's not an area I'm super familiar with, and it's going to for sure be something that regulators are going to have to grapple with just like all of this stuff. I mean, this, I would hate to be a regulator right now. Like, you know, you read this stuff for the U S like I, I posted this thing, Elizabeth Warren calling for, you know, the banning of cryptocurrency in Russia. Like, how do you do that? Turn off their internet turn. Like, it's like, it's like we're, we would like to remove Russians from being able to breathe. Let's turn off the air. Like it just, there's a lack of understanding as to how these things work. Is there out of curiosity, just for more of a, um, like a flip side risk side is there is there some of the things that government are doing that scares you a little in terms of your world everything the government does scares me in my world like <laughs> not just my business world but everything they do but it's just you know the risk of overregulation. yeah um, okay. overregulation has always been you know very difficult you know in, in places like canada you have parts of the you know government establishment or entrepreneurs that recognize hey this is pivotal technology right now. What is happening right now in the adoption of all this stuff is going to change the way we do pretty much all consumer technology, everything. And then you have other people that are still hung up with like Bitcoin's a Ponzi scheme. This is all a scam. You're going to lose all your money. Um, it's still there's it's still very divisive. Overregulation worries me. Mm. However, and I'll tell you why overregulation where you look, look in the United States, they're still grappling with how to treat, you know, a Bitcoin ETF. Is it going to, you know, everybody wants a spot ETF because, but the SEC supposedly won't authorize this because they think it'll lead to big spikes and the risk and everything else. 
There was another study that came out and said 25% of Americans have some exposure to Bitcoin somehow. This just means that they're finding more nefarious ways or place, places to get exposure that they might end up losing their money or getting taken advantage of. Why not just do the things that are, that are the easiest? Bitcoin has been the best performing asset on the planet for, I think, 10 of the last 12 years. Why would you not deem the ability for people to get exposure to that? There's still a lot of misconception. There's a lot of education that needs to happen, but it's happening. You know, when I first got involved with HUD8 and we co-founded that business and I was a CEO back in 2017, I would walk in places and they thought it was like, still like, they thought it was crazy. This is funny money. It's going to disappear. It's going to blow up. It has zero value. I still grapple that today. I, did, I handle it differently, but man, have we come a long way. I, I like that because that is when, like when you said you were done with investment banking, you're like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I think you just had to accept that. And you're going to continue to get that too, right? As you, as you progress in this world, like people are still going to look at you like you're crazy, but that also I think means you're doing the right thing at the end of the day. But that's, that's a sign of usually a sign of like a good sign that, you know, when people call you crazy or whatever, it's because, well, it's because I'm different. I'm trying to do something different. I'm trying to, uh, uh, I'm trying to build something unique and different, you know? So it's, it's usually a, it's usually a characteristic that you get planted with early on in a trend. You, right. you brought up, you brought up Fred Pye at the beginning and Fred was actually one of our first speakers. I think it was the second, 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 third, second right. episode we ever did on this podcast was actually with Fred and he had just launched uh, the Bitcoin fund. And I know his background is he comes from the gold space. Like he was, he was precious mm. metals at the beginning. Yeah, he was selling gold, gold bars or gold funds and stuff like that. And it's, it's so interesting to see him just do a full pivot and just accept this. So when you talk to like, the anti-Bitcoin or anti-crypto crowd, particularly the gold bugs, because full disclaimer, I think Nick and I, we're, we're bullish on both, especially mm -hmm. when there's uncertainty. But I think long-term crypto, NFTs, there, there's obviously a place for that. We can all agree with that. But like, what do you have to tell those gold bugs who continue to say, oh, what if I just turn off the internet and then there's nothing there? Like, what, what could you tell them to just say, dude, you need, a, you need at least a small amount of exposure in this space right now. It doesn't have to be a lot, just a little bit. Like, what do you tell those people? I don't. I'm not the Bitcoin <laughs> town crier. Um, you know, I had a, a guy I was friends with in high school who reached out to me and he was a big fund manager now. And I thought it was going to be like a catch up of, you know, with the last 20 years and for, you know, because he'd been seeing some of my stuff. First, I think Bitcoin has zero value and you try and convince me differently. And I was like, eh, I don't really care. <laughs> like if, if you don't see it, that's okay. Like a lot of people don't, a lot of people have a hard time attributing value to something that doesn't have a physical presence or weight. That's okay. Um, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. If, if you don't want exposure to stuff happening in crypto, don't buy my stock. But yeah, I'm not, I'm done being the Bitcoin town crier, or like, you know, the web three evangelist. I'm just going to keep running my business. I'd rather talk to people that get it and are interested in what I'm doing. Yeah. I honestly, I think for, let's say the crypto in general, but let's say Bitcoin too, I find that that approach is much more of a value because let's say people that are not, they're kind of undecided on the, on, they're in the middle. They're not sure what to do. If they see someone that's more just, you know what, let people decide what they want, which kind of adheres to the very core principle of the crypto, which is decentralized free market principles of let people be and let them decide what they want. And if people that are, that are pro talking with people that are against it and just saying, honestly, do what you want. I'm going to do what I want. I see value. I like it. Others do. I'm going to work with it. I find that much more refreshing to see because then it's like, there's not a, there's nothing trying to be forced. And the, one of the biggest things with most markets is 
you know, like we see with government or the fiat or whatever is always trying to force an outcome. Whereas this is not about forcing anything. It's about saying, you know, let things build on their own. If you want to come this way, come. If not, by all means, go your way. The, the core of this is about free market decisions. Decide for yourself what you want to do. Right. Right. I, I mean, I always find it's more fun to talk about rather than time. I find it's more fun to talk about the fiat money, right? Like 40% of us dollars have been printed in like less than the last two years. You know, you look at that, you look at, you know, we, we touched upon it earlier, but the inability of Canada to get out of its own way to you know export, you know, LNG, this is stuff that's far more interesting to me to see the, the blunders from government. Obviously hindsight's always 2020, but man, as, as a Canadian, um, how much things could have been differently, especially in this environment today, had we been able to get you know out of our own way in the past? The, the 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 crazy part too is just you know the the lack of understanding of how economics work. I mean, we could talk about that separately, but this entire world has created an entire new economy. There's no question about that. When you look at the challenges that you guys face moving forward, apart from the regulators, what what else is there that you foresee that um, you guys are paying attention to right now? Um, and what are you kind of doing to mitigate that uh, going into, I guess, the next couple of years? Because this is this is huge. The biggest challenge I think we have is identifying where to allocate capital. And what I mean by that is at the, the layer ones, which are the, the building blocks to everything in crypto, so these would be like Ethereum, Solana, Polkadot. And for, for, for listeners, viewers who understand, something like Ethereum or Solana or Polkadot are like the operating systems that everything in crypto are built on. And that's why I say they're, you know, calling them a cryptocurrency is, is really understating the value that they have. Just like how iOS, you can go on and you have all these apps in the Apple store. They don't necessarily care on the success of each of those, although they want them to be successful. They know they can't all be they just win as long as people are using that operating system. Similarly in crypto, Ethereum would be the leading operating system that's used. And where I'm sort of keeping or paying attention is to see like, will they be displaced? Is there the, the Ethereum replacement out there? Is that gonna be Solana? Is it gonna be Polkadot? I think there's room for a lot of winners, just like there are in, in, in various areas. On the metaverse side, I'm always looking to see how is that going to develop? What's going to happen when, when Meta, Facebook comes out with their metaverse in you know, 12 to 24 months? How is that going to displace what's already out there? Will the existing, you know, you don't want to be the friendster or the MySpace of the metaverse side, right? So those are the areas we're always keeping track of and trying to see um, you know, how things develop. Is when, there, um, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just say it's more from a, just a more of a curiosity. Is there, do you see any time point where you could see the metaverse? Well, obviously there is a reality, there is a real component to its impact because let's say for the third world countries where they can have their economies kind of built out by people making earnings that I understood it, but more from like, let's say, could you see a point in time where the metaverse kind of converges with like the real world assets in terms of like real estate, where there's kind of a converging point that you could get involved in? Maybe. Um, you know, I think, to be honest, for the first couple of years, I see metaverses being used primarily for social media, gaming, yeah. fashion, music. I've had a lot of conversations. I get approached all the time by people who are like, can I build a, you know, a medical office in the metaverse? And I'm like, well, I think the doctor would rather see the real you, not the, mm -hmm. the avatar. Um, I get pitched on things every day. The, the answer is, I don't know. Um, 
there's certainly going to be various convert. I think the, the main convergence that's going to happen between the physical and the real world is going to be in shopping. So if you can start converting the shopping experience away from like, you know, when you go to Amazon and it, it looks like, you know, the, the Amazon page hasn't really changed in the last few years. It's like you click on it, it's got the logos and then a bunch of squares. If you can change that experience and make it better, I think that's going to be a convergence of real world. But, you know, we talked about booking a trip. How wild would that be if, it's, you know, when you're trying to compare where you want to stay, you can have a, a, a 3D virtual representation that you can kind of like move around and check it out before you booked your trip. So there's going to be lots of things like that, that, that occur, but first couple of years, it's going to be music games. It's going to be the, the fun stuff that attracts people. The, the, the artists particularly, and that's another thing that's kind of been slowed down because of COVID was musicians and stuff like that. Coachella just came out and basically said, we're creating an NFT for a lifetime pass. I want to talk about NFTs as a technology, not as like the, the digital art, because that that's that's kind of just been a speculative mania, I think, in our view. Yeah. But um, the, the actual technology behind it is going to be around, I think, forever. Where do you see that being applicable, both in the metaverse and in real life? And, you know, on a smart contract level, you know, could that also create an opportunity in the capital market space where you've got an entire sector of derivatives that could be traded in exchange? NFT technology is so underrated and it's somewhat overshadowed by, oh, this JPEG just traded for $3 million or this piece of art. What NFT technology is, it's really the exact same technology that powers Bitcoin but instead of having like for 21 million, it's created so you can have one, two or three or as many as you choose of something. It's really a digital identifier for something that lives either digitally or even in the physical world. Why it's really important, I think comes down to a term that's used a lot in the art world called provenance. And what provenance in the art world means is where did a, a painting come from? What was the origin history, the painter? Who has owned it through its life history? What have they paid for it? In the art world, it's really the authentication of, of a piece of art. And in the art world, it's very hard to do for things that are older than like 20 or 30 years or pre-internet because like, how do you know who owned it back in like 1920 or who the, the artist really was? You're dealing with forgeries. Blockchain technology or NFT technology provides perfect provenance. You can see where someone thinks something came from. So if you bought something and it's from Gucci, you can see the identifier. You can see everyone who's owned it, exactly what they paid for it, who owns it now. And it resides on this public ledger called the blockchain. So where could this be valuable in the future? Well, here's an easy one. Although I think it will take a while to get there. We had an election here in Canada last year. I went to my election place and a little old lady was sitting there and she had a pen, a ruler and a piece of paper. I had to show her my ID and she looked down on the list, found, put the ruler down and crossed it out with a pen. And I was like, man, I like technology is really far behind here. I should be able to just go in with some kind of an identifier that it's me and go boom, zap, get in there and vote. We're still using you know, pen and paper for things. I heard, you know, this came from Kevin O'Leary. I was on a, at a, a panel with him last year and he was like i collect really expensive watches i don't know i don't wear watches but he's like i collect really expensive watches he goes it would be great when i can attach my patek philippe to a special identity signature and every time it trades it goes 
He's right. When you can start identifying things in the real world and in the virtual world to something that identifies who the owners are, the authenticity, where it came from, the origins, that's got a lot of value. It's got a lot of value for selling things. You know, you look at the music world. I remember, I don't, I don't know if they're still doing this, but like LeBron James was selling like slam dunks where you can own a piece of a slam dunk or you can own a piece of music. The way you can identify that it belongs to you is through NFT technology. So people need to put aside this whole NFT, this makes no sense, people are trading off. Forget about that. The technology behind it is gonna have profound consequences to how we view things. But again, it will stop at some point being called NFT technology. You'll just be going in to vote and hopefully you'll just be able to go like, here's identification, it's me, Zach, and you go. And you know, the, the, the poor little old lady you know, will have to put away her ruler and pencil, so. I honestly would hope that the government would accept the market helping it innovate. It's to improve things because you know it really seems to have a hard time accepting that kind of like outcome. Sure. <laughs> so but think about for, for your healthcare records, there's all kinds yeah. of, I mean, look, there, there's other things. I mean, we haven't touched upon this. Cryptocurrency has had something very unique happen here in the last six months. And part of it is related to the, the truckers convoy and the mm -hmm. other part related to the Ukraine. When you have freedom of money and you can start moving it, like, you know, they were trying to, they, they started freezing accounts of the, of the, yeah. the freedom people going on. I'm not going to get political, whether right yeah. or wrong or whatever else, but they switched as soon as the GoFundMe was uh, canceled on them because the mayors and the politicians called up and told them not to distribute the money. They immediately were like, why do we ever do this in the first place? Let's just create a, a Bitcoin donation page that can't be touched. Mm. Right. Yep. It is freedom of money. If you look at what's happening in the Ukraine, it's two brilliant things. I saw that Airbnb was allowing you as a way of getting money over there to people, you could start renting out places in the Ukraine without ever having an intention of going, but as a way of transferring money to people there as, as to help them out, start renting things out, it gets money into the country, but also in, in various places. And this works for you and against you in places like Russia. If you have access to the internet, you have the ability to trade in these cryptocurrencies and create a separate economy that's separate from fiat. And I feel terribly for the people in Russia who are, are under this regime where they don't have any cash. Like, you know, I, I heard like things like, you know, rubles, you, you can't find physical money or US dollars or anything. They're going to have to start to turning into this, you know, internet money to be able to conduct and transact. I was reading that the price of a Bitcoin has a, about a $20,000, $30,000 premium in Russia yep. because people are trying to get this money in order to live, right? Fiat currency does not work in these kinds of situations. And frankly, I'm against any type of censorship. I think they should be allowed to use this. And, and I think people are allowed to live, but it's also helping in the Ukraine as well. Yeah. Well, I, I can confirm that because I've got some, my grandmother lives in Moscow. Um, so, and I've got a friend who's trying to get out right now. And he told me, he's just like, the bank lines are absolutely insane. So um, it, it is, yeah. it, it's scary, but it, it's a perfect case study into basically saying like fiat paper money just doesn't like it's, it's, it's gone. <laughs> right. like, but let's take a different step. So the stock markets have been shut down in Russia as well. How cool is that? So people can't, you can't get your money out. So even if, you know, they're stinging you in so many different places where now the government is saying you're not allowed to access your savings. I foresee a world in, in the near future where all stocks are going to be traded on 
uh, digital exchanges where they're going to be trading 24 hours a day, seven days a week, not 9.30 to 4 o'clock, subject to all of these intermediaries, but you'll be able to go and trade Tesla or whatever at any time of the day. Once that happens and you have like two-minute settlement instead of two-day settlement, you're not going to be able to shut the market down. It's actually going to be freedom to people. It'll be like, I own a stock. It's my money. If I want to sell it, I can sell it. Government can't come in here and, and restrict my ability to access my savings and live. Can you imagine like most of my stuff sits in either blockchain or stuff. The government was to come in like the, like the government did recently in Canada and say, you're no longer allowed to access your broker or your money or your bank account. How, how, how do you pay your mortgage? How do you buy food? When do well, we I'll become it, a third world country? <laughs> but I don't think it's a question they ask themselves. It's not their, yeah. their point of view doesn't have that type of thought process. Right. It's insane. The, the case you studies can punish are me. You can put me to jail if I've done something wrong. That money is something I've earned really belongs mm -hmm. to my, my family, to my child who now I hear my baby crying in the back, but <laughs> that's, you know, that's an innate right that I think people have. And, you know, I was born in Chile in South America and my family escaped there during the military coup. So I'm particularly sensitive to any of these things where government can come in and seize your assets. Mm. You can seize me if I've done something wrong, but man, I've got a family to feed. Yeah. I think it, it's, it's kind of off topic here, but you're a big proponent of history. And I think that's also really important. Um, when you kind of look at what's happening all over the world right now, um, it's almost like, you know, history is rhyming in a sense, right? But that's also provided you and you've done such a great job just explaining, hey, we're, we're giving people in Africa and other places like third world countries an opportunity to get out of poverty, right? So um, where do you see this craziness just, just, just unfolding? And how are you just going to continue to just, you know, maintain that and help those people get out of poverty uh, in, in, in the short term, at least like the next couple of months? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a real deep question. I, I think if everybody, you know, there's that saying, if everybody sweeps their doorstep, you, you know, you'll have a, a clean world. So we're just doing our best to do things I think that are right. But ultimately on the business side, we're motivated by doing well on behalf of our shareholders and on the further political sides, I mean, you're just trying to do the best you can contribute how you can to try and provide a better outcome for, for these various situations. It's honestly, it's cool because it's not, you're not trying to force anything. You're just saying, here's an, here's a, here's a gate where you can enter on your own and do your own thing and connect to a world untethered to government and fiat systems. And you can create your own opportunities. Sure. I mean, yeah, on the play to earn side, not only that, but you can bring in a whole bunch of investors on the other side who are like, Hey, these returns are pretty good. I'm employing people in places like Africa. Um, this is a good way, a good symbiotic relationship between sort of capitalism and, and, and capital moving to help other people in a way that gives them a return. I mean, it's a huge, this is 22 decades, probably, if not more in the making right now. And this is just like the fringe of it. So Andrew, we want to say thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know that uh, it's probably been a little bit crazy with, with, with the new child, but um, it's probably a blessing right now for, for, for the whole family. So again, congratulations on that. Yeah, and um, uh, where can the listeners uh, find you on uh, social media or, or anywhere really? Uh, well, tokens.com. We have a really good website. Uh, there's a lot of education on there. I actually have an education tab, lots of places to check out the media and what we're doing that's probably the best place to start. And there's a contact button there. If anybody has questions or they want to reach me, they can go right through the website. Cool. 
again, really interesting stuff. I had no idea about the whole getting out of poverty. So that's, mm-hmm. that's really, really awesome. So again, congratulations on that, but uh, thanks for coming on and uh, uh-huh. guys, thanks for listening. And we'll on see a you Sunday, on a Sunday. <laughs> well, sure everybody knows. There you go. <laughs> if we're in Toronto, we, we got to take you out for yeah. lunch or dinner just as a thank you. So we'll, we're, we're definitely putting that in the agenda next time for sure. But we, guys, good. Uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time on the new Gen. Thanks, guys. Podcast. Ciao.